This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the show. This is David Scales. I'm bringing you my recap of the Surf Ranch Pro presented by Hurley. This used to be the five-minute recap, but I'm rebranding the series as Postscript. As a follow-up to Offscript and in keeping with my S theme, my S logo, S shows, the word surf. Nevertheless, I have a recap and review of the Surf Ranch event. And then the second half of the show will actually be my review of John John's brand new film, Space, A uh, text version of that review is already up on beachgrit.com if you want to revisit it there. This Postscript series is brought to you by Fanatic.com, the fin subscription service that allows you to test surfboard fins. For a meager $10 a month, you can rent Futures, FCS, Rainbow Fin Co. You can manage your queue on their website, drag and drop fins, rearrange the order for your priority picks, and then uh, Fanatic ships them directly to your house. They include a return envelope and postage. There's no limit to how long or how short you keep the fins. You can ride them once. You can ride them for a year straight. It is completely your call. Your $10 a month is the same regardless, and that includes all postage back and forth. Fanatic.com also sells used fins at reduced prices. So if you like a set, you can buy them um, cheaper there than you'll be able to find anywhere else. We have a partnership with Fanatic, so use our promo code PODCAST and you'll get your first month free and you will support this show. Fanatic.com, promo code PODCAST. Thanks. Without further ado, here is my postscript to the Surf Ranch Pro presented by Hurley. The 2018 Surf Ranch Pro marks an inaugural event. Just prior to the start of the event, the WSL released its schedule for 2019 and Surf Ranch was also included, showing an optimism for how they felt the event would play out and also a commitment to their technology and the engineering marvel that is Surf Ranch. This event also marks an opportunity for the WSL to capitalize on ticket sales. For the first time in WSL history, an entity owns the playing surface and the real estate that surrounds it. This allows for a brand new revenue opportunity and also new ways to engage with fans. It also creates completely new dynamics for the competitors to contend with. And as if this already wasn't monumental enough, the points earned in this event would contribute to one's world rankings. The WSL also introduced a completely new contest format, only to be used at this venue, 
Gone are the bracketed, multi-round elimination format, and instead there would simply be a qualifying round for everybody to surf with an equal number of waves. The best two waves would count towards your combined total for the round, and then the top eight men and the top four women would advance to the final, where again, everyone surfed the exact same number of waves, and the surfer with the highest combined left and right would be the winner of the event. Going into the event, Felipe Toledo and Stephanie Gilmore were ranked first, with Gabriel Medina and Lakey Peterson in second. Leaving Lamore, Felipe and Steph are still in first, and Gabe and Lakey are still in second. Gabriel Medina won the Surf Ranch Pro, so he's closed the gap on Felipe's lead. Carissa Moore won the Surf Ranch Pro on the women's side, which moves her from fifth into fourth on the rankings. Steph got second and Lakey got third, which creates slightly more separation for Stephanie as we head into France. One concern going into this event that was validated is that the wave is predictable and therefore boring. I think we've all decided as a viewer that the wave is just too long. Watching it live, there's actually no good vantage point. If you're standing at one end of the pool and the wave is coming at you, it starts so far away that you can't even tell who's riding the wave. Thankfully, they have a bunch of jumbotrons up, so you kind of glance over to the left or the right, watch the jumbotron as the surfer's on the first half of the wave. Then once they're midway down the pool, shift slightly to the live view and watch them in real time. If you're along the side of the pool, there's only about 100 yards in your periphery that you could see the wave coming at you, maybe even not 100, 50 yards in your periphery with the wave coming at you, and that's 50 yards in its 700-yard length where it's really viewable and exciting. Once it goes past you, of course, you're just looking at the back of the wave, so that creates challenges for viewing the event live. The other reality is that on the left specifically, the first three quarters of the pool length, the wave is pretty repetitive. It presents the same section over and over and not a gnarly enough section to really get radical on. Surfers just repeatedly banked off of it basically for 500 yards until they got to the section where we all really wanted to see them do something. They'd either get barreled or do an air. So it had me wondering, whenever we see repetitive surfing like that in the ocean or otherwise, it tends to not really elevate the score. So if a surfer just belted it twice, let's say, and then did a huge finishing move on the inside, would that score be any lower than the surfer who did the eight repetitive turns before then doing a big turn on the inside? And if not, then why not just take off halfway down the length of the pool, save all of that energy, and not risk falling on all those foam climbs for the first half of the pool? That might have been a better decision for the surfers. We will have to make that assessment next year. Caroline Marks did the maneuver of the event on the women's side, a huge air reverse. I'd argue that it was the most critical maneuver we've ever seen from a female surfer. She did it on the inside barrel section, went vert, grabbed rail, held on through the landing, where she laid back to the extent that it appeared that she had fallen, but she came up with the whitewash, claiming with a dab, it was sick. The layback recovery prevented it from being scored excellent. She earned a 6.2, but the recovery itself was amazing. It was a contorted effort, and she leaves Lamore in fifth place, an impressive ranking in a rookie year. Kelly Slater made his return to competition in Lamore. I posed an ethical dilemma about the fact that he owns the property, developed it, and the technology, and this presents an unfair and never-before-seen advantage. 
The internet responded with examples of home court advantage from John John Florence at Pipeline to Kanoe Garashi in Huntington, but we've never seen anything to the extent of this where somebody literally owns the keys to the property. Kelly responded on Instagram by saying, quote, Griffin, Keanu, Gudang, Connor have all ridden more waves than myself this year, just off the top of my head. I've also been injured, hardly even surfed it at all this last year, and skipped the opening practices the past few weeks. Those are my two cents if they're valid amongst the gossip here, end quote. Whether or not the athlete is capable of performing to the level of other athletes is not relevant to the ethical dilemma. The NBA would never consider hosting a game at an arena that one of the players owned, especially when the engineers are dialing up waves that we all know have slight variation, some presenting better opportunities for scoring than others. My favorite comment on that Instagram post was from Ken Ziegler, who said, quote, Kelly has an earned advantage end quote, which I agree with. I was actually thrilled to see Kelly compete, and I was actually glad to see him safety surf to a third place finish. But if the WSL wants to position itself alongside the NFL and the NBA, this would be an obvious misstep. In my personal opinion, surfing is unique to all other sports, and its uniqueness should be embraced. Kelly should absolutely be allowed to surf in the inaugural event in his pool, but that event should not be a world tour event. And the points definitely should not contribute towards a world title. Embracing the uniqueness of the sport begins with the fundamental challenge of human versus nature. Man and woman versus nature has always been a core tenet of surfing and of competitive surfing, be it two feet or 20 feet. I wasn't convicted of that last week, but this week I'm completely resolute about it. An athlete's dominion over their board is not unique to surfing. It's the main tenet of skateboarding, snowboarding, wakeboarding, but doing it while contesting nature, that is the essence of all of surfing prior to September 2018. One, among many contradictions of the WSL's desires for this event versus the outcome that they received, was the contest format itself. Julian Wilson entered the event in a tight three-man title race with Gabriel Medina and Felipe Toledo. All three surfers actually found themselves on finals day, each with seven waves to surf, three rights and four lefts. There's a note right there. Kieran Perot added a fourth left for each competitor due to the funky win and inconsistency of the lefts on the final day. And it seemed that all surfers attempted to go huge on their first wave, knowing that they'd have a couple more waves to either try again on or then just safety surf for a score. Gabriel landed his corrupt flip that we saw earlier in the event, and it would ultimately be a wave that secured him the win. Julian Wilson, on the other hand, attempted a massive backside varial big spin four times on four separate waves each time landing on the top of the wave and barely not riding out. Each would have been the absolute highlight maneuver of the event, the single greatest maneuver, and arguably a 10-point ride. As each other competitor realized that their opportunities to solidify big scoring rides diminished, they abandoned big game-changing airs and instead opted for just completing rides. Bank an eight-point ride instead of going for broke. With world title points on the line, this proved to be a very smart move for Felipe Toledo especially. He earned his second place finish and holds on to his first place ranking. Julian, however, he gave us what we want. I was watching the situation unfold live, 
knew that he was close to landing the trick. And each time I thought, okay, he'll stomp it on the next attempt. I and Julian himself, we both knew that if he didn't land the trick, it would mean he'd be certain to finish with a lower result in the event and potentially threaten his world title campaign, which is precisely actually what happened. Julian attempted the spectacular. He reinstated all of the drama that we get through man-on-man competition. The drama bred from imminent ruin. I knew what was on the line for Julian with every attempt, and it heightened my interest. Julian was the best surfer of the event for me, and he was unquestionably in the top three along with Gabriel and Felipe, and yet he finished the event behind Kelly Slater, Kanoe Igarashi, and Owen Wright in sixth place, and only earning 4,745 points. Had he simply gotten barreled at the end of any one of those lefts and bettered his 657, he would have easily finished third place in this event. He had the second highest scoring right of the final round, and he only needed a 7.47 for the left. The judges scored this correctly. This wasn't their fault. It was a failure of the contest format. Had Julian actually been Making those attempts in a final or a semifinal, he would have finished with a second or an equal third. But this contest format created a reward for safety surfing. All that said, Felipe and Gabriel earned their positions without safety surfing. They went huge and landed. Gabriel on the rights and the left. Felipe on the right, never really landing a left. Kanoa Igarashi continues to be a highlight for me. He really set the pace for the event as we slogged through the first day of the qualifying round, doing a critical air prior to the barrel and even into the barrel. He's finaled at the Pipe Masters. He's made multiple final series at J-Bay and elsewhere. I'm not sure why we're all still surprised when he excels an event. He deserves our credit. He finished fourth at Surf Ranch and jumps forward seven places into ninth. Idolo stays in fourth. Owens into fifth, and Jordy is into sixth. There are three events left in the season. France, Portugal, Pipeline. Gabriel and Felipe and Julian all have had success in Europe. Gabriel is finaled twice at Pipe. Julian has a Pipe Masters. We have much to look forward to. The Quicksilver Pro France begins on October 3rd for both the men and the women. Chris Amore and Gabriel Medina are our defending champs. I will see you there. But first... A word on our current two-time world champ, John John Florence. You have to fix the mind before you can bestow the blessing, because until they get their mind right, everything you invest in them is going to leak out of the crevices of a mind that refuses to change. Look at your neighbor and ask him, do you have a mind to change? John John Florence's latest film, Space, was released yesterday and it casts a long shadow over Gabriel Medina, Felipe Toledo, Julian Wilson, their pool battle, and their world title race. The fact that space follows a traditional surf film formula, surfing set to music, starting with innovative airs, flips in this case, then big turns and crescendoing with a big barreling Hawaii section, all of that allows for the profound greatness of John John surfing to remain the central focus. Space almost immediately reaffirms John John's position as the greatest surfer in the world today, mainly because almost all of his surfing is performed on waves of consequence. 
The timing of space marks a transition that is difficult to overstate. It showcases the value of a talented support crew. The filmmakers at Parallel C are nearly as talented and focused on their craft as John is on his. They understand cinema. They understand mood and character. They treat John's surfing as high art without ever fawning over him. They include zero lifestyle shots. They in fact fill those spaces with nature. I found myself wondering how we might perceive Gabriel Medina if he had a similarly talented crew reflecting his surf experience to us. Space marks the transition into an era where simply capturing incredible surfing on film will no longer garner audience attention. There is a glut of thoughtlessly edited hi-fi surfing available. When was the last time you watched a six-minute surf edit? We've all had our fill of that. Cinema will now be required to capture our interest. We've seen examples of surf cinema in the past. Space now mandates it as a requirement. Parallel C's choice to include the preachings of T.D. Jakes adds gravitas. In any other instance, it would feel contrived and cheesy, but it works here. There is no secret meaning, innuendo, nor subliminal messaging in his preachings. It's Jake's delivery style that adds gravitas to the speech. His baritone bravado and intensity accentuates the seriousness of John John's surfing. And it is serious. So serious that one of his aerial attempts resulted in a year-ending injury. In a year when John John would be defending his back-to-back world titles. The timing of the release of Space was undoubtedly strategic. Everyone will attribute John's injury as the reason he was unable to defend his world titles in 2018, but let's not forget that prior to the injury, John had a 25th at snapper, three thirteenths, and his best result was a ninth. He was not in position to win his third world title. And specifically, the paddling incident with Zeke Lau at Bells Beach highlighted a shortcoming in John's competitive game. He lacked zeal, fire, and tenacity. That moment also seems to cultivate a mental fragility that followed John throughout the next events. He fell. He made odd decisions. He had four opportunities to better scores in his round three heat against Jesse Mendez at Karamas, and he simply did not. He went huge a couple times and fell, which is commendable, at least he was going huge, but it was in a round two heat that he easily could have simply outsurfed Jesse Mendez in. Zeke exploited a weakness in John, and not just a weak moment. Wounded athletes often return to competition stronger than ever with a renewed focus. Eight months on a sofa has a tendency to breed appreciation for what may have been previously taken for granted, a la Mick Fanning in 2005 or Lakey Peterson this year. We should expect a similar return from John. Moreover, John won those first two world titles with freakish talent alone. Zeke Lau found a way to disable that confidence, and injury has provided enough respite for John to reflect.
He's displayed humility in the past, and he has a team of coaches, trainers, sponsors, and most importantly, a family who has proven to be focused on a very long game. They are watching every event and taking notes of other competitors' weaknesses, tells, and blind spots. They're undoubtedly using this downtime to formulate competitive tactics and strategy that'll fortify John's 2019 title campaign. The timing of space serves to redirect any attention that was focused on Surf Ranch and the world title race. As viewers of Surf Ranch found themselves looking away while surfers were sitting in a tube, the ranch wave only wrapped viewers' attention once the end section approached. By contrast, one is unable to look away from space. The Phantom Flex 4K footage reveals intricacies of water moving and John's contortions that is the closest approximation of real life viewing that we've ever seen in film. One nearly motionless moment shows a barreling overhead right gurgling with foam. The tip of John's board appears seemingly unmanned, spit veiling its rider. Then the wave breathes and reveals John casually levitating over a foam ball. It's a genuinely brand new moment in surf cinema. The timing of space serves to remind us that winning world titles is an impressive achievement, but not always a reflection of who is the best surfer in the world at that moment. The timing of space also serves to remind us of the irreplicable beauty and wonder of the ocean. Space offers a glimpse at the ocean's majesty, harnessed by John, and on display through the cinematography of Eric Knudsen and Chris Bryant. Never has surfing looked more at home in the ocean, and never has the ghost of an injured surfer cast such a long shadow over a world title race.